This podcast is sponsored by the Sarasota Bradenton International Airport, a world-class gateway to Florida's Gulf Coast. Served by both domestic and international carriers, SRQ is conveniently centered in a region full of exciting attractions and only minutes away from award-winning white sand beaches. Let the hangover begin. After the UK last week voted to exit the European Union, we're left with more questions than answers, with the primary question being, what did you do? And actually, we do have some answers, and here to provide those is the learned Seth Kaplan, managing partner at Airline Weekly. I'll try. I'm Jason Cottrell, vice president of Airline Weekly. We will start the show discussing how Brexit could affect British Airways, Air France, EasyJet, Aer Lingus the U.S. Big Three, and more. We'll also look at first quarter reports from Air Mauritius and Frontier, plus how New Leaf is going to change the world. Rest assured, Western civilization isn't spinning into oblivion. How do we know this? Because you're about to enter the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so if there's one thing airlines like for government to do, it's to cooperate. And you might say Brexit will be the opposite of that. Before we get to the airline aspect, however, Seth, let me ask you, have you ever seen an election where so many voices from the winning side immediately started to regret how the vote went? Hard to recall one. To be clear, Jason, you know, uh, that's all very much anecdotal. I mean, you know, 17 million people voted to leave, you know, and and, and uh, yeah, you've got this petition out there uh, saying, hey, let, let's let's have a do over, um, you know, a few million people on board, you know, presumably some of whom wanted in, in the first place to remain. So, uh, you know, so, so none of this is proof that if there were, in fact, a do over, that it would go a different direction. But, yeah, there are those people, as I said, at least anecdotally and, and not just one or two of them who are telling the British media, uh, oh, uh, that didn't really expect us to, <laughs> to win. I, I just wanted to uh, sort of blow off steam. Uh, you know, just just uh, uh, kind of makes you wonder how seriously people take their, their votes. Regarding its impact on airlines, there's two major areas of concern right off the bat. As we mentioned last week, there's the overall economic fallout and there's the international air service agreements. Let's start with what this does to the European common aviation area. What is it and will it stay intact? Yeah, well, I can do the what is it part. <laughs> we'll, uh, then we'll, then we'll see about uh, uh, the next part. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, yeah, basically it's, um, you know, very much as if as if it were one country, you know, where airlines within the common area can can basically do what they want um, in terms of flying. Uh, you know, between two other countries that are not their home country, uh, for example. And uh, uh, the common aviation area, uh, as some of our listeners surely know, but for, for those who don't, um, is not the same thing as the European Union. Uh, you know, in fact, there are a number of European institutions where you sort of have this overlap, uh, you know, countries that are in one and, and not in the other and so forth. So uh, in, in the case of the common av aviation area, as opposed to some of those other uh, uh, regimes, uh, everybody who's in the EU is in it. But then you also have some other countries, you know, most notably, oh, Norway, Iceland. But I mean, some Eastern European countries, look, Albania is in it. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, the, the question now is, you know, whether the UK 
can uh, can basically be like Norway. Look, I mean, th- there's every reason to think that, sure, why not, uh, that that could be negotiated as part of it. Certainly the, the, the simplest thing to, to try to keep things as they are. I mean, even then, you know, there are all, all kinds of things would have to change because it's, because the EU came first, basically, <laughs> you know. But but sure, you know, that that would seem to, uh, you know, from, from a free traders perspective, seem to to uh, to make the most sense. But in terms of the greater good, Jason, uh, there are all kinds of things that have nothing to do with the airline industry uh, that are about to have, that are about to have everything to do with the airline industry, um, because, you know, there are voices within Europe saying, you know, we can't let uh, the UK have the milk without buying the cow. That is, you know get all the benefits of EU membership, not only the common aviation area, certainly, but um, but but certainly that among others, without uh, taking the responsibility it comes with being an EU member. And they're worried about the EU, you know, coming apart, about other countries doing this. And so those voices are saying, look, you know, we have to punish the UK. And so, you know, that is in a very broad sense, not necessarily a protectionist argument, uh, you know, if what they're trying to do is is, is save the union. Uh, but certainly the the uh, the impact of it, if, if the UK is relegated to some other status and, you know, going out and having to sign new bilaterals and so forth, the practical impact would be that it would be a, a much more illiberal uh, aviation regime perhaps. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens with all that. We'll have to see the impact on relations with other countries. I mean, most notably, you've got the U.S.-EU open skies regime, again, which sort of uh, the U.S. in that case views all of Europe, including the U.K., including also, as I said, Norway and others, as uh, simply European, as if they were uh, you know, basically one country. Well, the Norwegian might have something to say about that, you know. Uh, so what's going to be uh, the the impact there? As, as you said in the intro, Jason, um, more questions than answers. This is one of those things where, you know, hey, you tell me at a very high level some things that are going to happen, and I'll tell you exactly what will happen in the airline industry. But the problem is uh, nobody knows about some of those sort of uh, highest level things that are going to happen, including, as you said, this, uh, this small chance that there could somehow be like a, a, a do-over referendum. Although that... That, that seems rather unlikely. Okay, something else you might not know the answer to. Will UK airlines be able to fly within the EU? That's a, a huge question. Um, I will look especially for EasyJet most of all. But hey, increasingly for Flybe, let's say, which has is sort of is just dipping its toes into that water, getting into the business of flying people not only within the UK, uh, not only between the UK and Europe, but increasingly interested in flying between various points in Europe. For EasyJet, I mean, it would it would solve that somehow. Uh, actually, uh, Brett Snyder in his Cranky Flyer blog today talked about is sort of you know kind of laid out a framework where hey, they probably you know have just have to have other AOCs own parts of parts of them, and you know if, if there's not full foreign ownership allowed and the rest of it, uh, taking partners and all that, that'll be very costly. Uh, and I know you want in a moment you told me you want to talk to specifically about some of the other airlines so we can get back to EasyJet. Um, but especially, hey, an airline like Flybe, you know, that's the kind of situation where, you know, are they in a position to take on that kind of complexity and accept all of those costs uh, just to, as I said, sort of dip their toes in the water of of uh, intra-European flying. Uh, so, you know, so uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, it, it really could be anywhere from, uh, you know, things not changing very much, at least from a, a regulatory perspective. I, I want to be clear about that. I mean, it, you know, there are going to be all kinds of economic consequences if, if uh, 
if uh, most economists are to be believed here, which which would ha- which would themselves have huge impact on uh, on on travel between the UK and everywhere else within the UK and so forth. Um, but uh, talking from a regulatory perspective, anywhere from you know not much changing from a practical perspective to all kinds of things, uh, you know, changing to where you're, you know, if, if it all sort of unravels in a very uh, haphazard manner, difficult as this would be to believe, you know, would you be back to what used to be called the Bermuda Two uh, uh, Treaty between the UK and the US, which was a very restrictive air traffic regime. And it was it was the one that was in place, uh, well, up, up until what, uh, uh, early 2008, when EU, US open skies, took effect. So really just, just a very, uh, very broad spectrum of possibilities. You mentioned the economic fallout and almost immediately after the vote, the pound got well hammered. We've talked recently how British Airways is enjoying a good economy and a strong home currency. One week later, what is BA thinking? Well, yeah, it, it certainly doesn't have the second of those two, the strong home currency. Yeah. And if, if any economic forecaster to believe be believed it won't have the the first either you know th- things have certainly changed i mean look there are some some mitigating effects uh look fuel prices are uh, are falling you know uh, crude oil prices uh, uh, of course have been tumbling here so it's going to be lower prices at the pump but lower prices in dollar terms so when you're trading in british pounds uh you don't even get really get the benefit of that because your currency is falling along with Oil prices denominated in in dollars. Look, uh, IATA last week put out a uh, the, the sort of a little dossier about uh, their their view of what this will all do, and uh, you know they they noted, hey, there there's there's inbound tourism to to England, obviously to the UK, and uh, and the UK is now on sale. I mean, if you're an American, for example, considering a trip to to London, uh, it now looks more attractive than it did uh, just just uh, last week. Uh, but keep the champagne corked uh, if you're if you're BA or, or any airline with that kind of exposure, because um, you know unfortunately there is more outbound travel from the UK than there is inbound travel to it. Um, you know British people travel all over the world uh, up until now with a strong currency, and again you know they, they've just lost so much spending power now. The world is is more expensive for them, so there too. You know, I, I guess if anything, Jason, um, you, you know, a broader case for optimism is that, you know, many times, you know, many times we tend to overreact to things at first. And, um, you know, just maybe this just won't all be as bad as it uh, as it seems. You know, right now there, there's there's just so much unpredictability priced into everything. And, you know, I've, I've heard people say, oh, well, the good news is this is all going to take years. I don't know that that's the good news. You know, I, I don't know that it wouldn't be better if this could all happen somehow very quickly, you know, which it can't, to be clear. But if it could and just sort of get on with things, um, you, you know, that's that's what uh, that's what investors tend to like um, is, is some clarity. That's what, you know, by extension, corporations making decisions uh, tend to like. So, you know, there, there's just all kinds of uncertainty right now. Uh, that's that's going to weigh on everybody with uh, with exposure to the United Kingdom, which is to say airlines from almost every part of the world uh, other than the sort of the most isolated short haul airlines. But I mean, even, you know, even airlines that don't fly there have have exposure in, in, in all kinds of ways, just because we are talking uh, the UK alone about the, the world's fifth largest economy. It's a big deal. Let me run a few airlines by you and you give me your thoughts on how they'll be affected by Brexit. Is there anything more to be said about British Airways? Probably uh, all kinds of things, but it's just so speculative at this moment. You know, no, obviously rather 
uh, bad news for them. Um, you know, the only thing you could at least say is that because so much of their capacity is concentrated at Heathrow and because Heathrow is so capacity constrained, just from a traffic perspective, that kind of traffic is going to be less sensitive than other words, than, than other kinds in the sense that you always have so many more people wanting to travel to and from Heathrow than Heathrow can handle. Uh, so, so, you know, so you're not going to see a fall off in traffic numbers probably uh, at Heathrow. I, I look, by the way, back to, uh, you know, 2009, kind of the depths of, of the uh, global financial crisis. And uh, sure enough, um, you know, Heathrow was, was, was down, uh, you know, like 1% or something. All the other London airports down much more because of what I just described, Jason. But having said that, you know, traffic is, is, is not the same as uh, as yield and thus, you know, unit revenues and, and thus profit. Uh, so you could have certainly downward uh, downward pressure on airfares. Certainly BA2 uh, carries more than its share of, uh, you know, leisure traffic as well. Uh, well, leisure travelers are, are certainly today in terms of outbound, which as we said before, is the majority uh, thinking twice about that vacation abroad because it, it just got more expensive in terms at least of of being abroad you know if if not perhaps the airline tickets themselves assuming that there's this downward pressure on airfares and what about the other IAG airlines yeah so um you know which which is to say uh Iberia and and Whaling and Aer Lingus those all of course European airlines with all the you know rights to still do what they want within Europe, uh, certainly. Uh, and as we said before, we'll see in terms of the UK. But, uh, you know, first of all, um, depending on what happens, that company could become more complex. You know, you could have those, you know, the ownership issues and all the things that they don't have to even think about right now with you know, the, the common aviation area as it is. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, well, Iberia got Again, you know, sort of from a from a, uh, a free traders perspective, might call good news se- completely separate from Brexit. Uh, the the uh, sort of the, the center right pro traders in in Spain uh, did did rather well in this week's election. So there's that at least uh, to mitigate all the Brexit stuff. But uh, look, if you're if you're Aer Lingus, you mentioned them. You know, Ireland is the kind of country that's just uh, it's completely transformed because of its membership in in, in the EU. And, uh, you know, so much of that is being able to trade with the UK, uh, is being able to provide, uh, you know, competitive labor costs, that is to say lower labor costs in which you can get in the UK and, you know, you know, companies, uh, you know, putting certain functions in in Dublin rather than London uh, because of that and so forth. I said Dublin and London, obviously elsewhere, you know, Shannon and and, and other huge aviation markets in, in Ireland. And so, again, depending on what happens with everything else, we don't know yet. Broader issues that have nothing to do with aviation, you know, if, if, if some of that trade begins to stop, then sure, you can imagine that impacting uh, Aer Lingus. Uh, Whaling just kind of impacted, like all the other uh, short-haul airlines within Europe. Um, you know, certainly they do business in the UK, and we'll see if that, uh, if that becomes uh, more difficult from a regulatory perspective. And then there will at least be, once again, the economic impact. EasyJet. Yeah, they're they're one where the, the regulatory issues are about as important as as for any airline. Yeah, hard hard to think of anybody more impacted because they are a British carrier um, that does all kinds of intra-European flying. 
uh, between France and other parts of of the continent um, that, 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 you know, places that just don't touch the UK. Now, look, they, they know how to get around that. I mean, they've done it in, in, uh, in Switzerland, for example, you know, where where they've, they've had to have a, uh, a a separate air operator certificate to get around precisely these, these kinds of issues, you know, they would figure this out. Uh, but it, but it's certainly unwelcome. So they're one where just about as much as any airline anywhere, the regulatory questions matter, as do, of course, uh, the economic questions. You know, they're, they're just uh, very dependent on the British economy, corporate travel demand, as well as leisure travel demand. They're just right there in the middle of all of it. Okay, Virgin Atlantic. Yeah, they're 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 very exposed. Um, you know, to just just a vast majority of of, of their traffic uh, begins or ends in London. I mean, they you know, sell some connecting itineraries in terms of long haul, but but uh, but rather minimal. Uh, yeah, here here you have an airline that um, you know, first of all, uh, very much a transatlantic specialist. So you have those questions about EU, U.S. open skies. Just, just very exposed to to all of it, to the, the regulatory as well as the economic issues, and we should say by extension, Delta exposed to all of that as the 49% owner uh, of Virgin Atlantic. Okay, you mentioned Flybe, so we'll leave the UK and uh, let's try Norwegian. Well, yeah, they're gosh, um, very much exposed because don't forget, even even with the common aviation area, there's been this argument in in the U.S. made most prominently by Delta, American United, uh, some of the labor unions, uh, that that they've used the the common aviation area to basically uh, sort of flout labor laws and, and, and so forth. And that's even with it ostensibly not mattering to the U.S. whether an airline is Norwegian or Irish or uh, British. Uh, well, here we go. Uh, you know, now now with the UK uh, leaving the union, that that's certainly going to um, complicate all that. And then they have the various AOCs. Uh, so so again, um, on the surface, sure, you know, they 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 should be able to do what they want with their British AOC. You know, flying from from Gatwick to the US and so forth. But you can imagine that uh, an airline that is already very complex, uh, sort of without the profits to, to, to show for accepting all that cost and complexity is, is going to have some other uh, things to deal with. And, you know, an airline that, that, that also now is, is um, very exposed to an economy that uh, can, by all appearances, is set to weaken. And they can only deal with so much of that. You know, Norway, although it's held up reasonably well, you know, very much exposed to the fall in oil prices and all that. So that's going to so that has accelerated now with oil prices once again declining, uh, and and now you've got all of their exposure to uh, to the British economy, which at this moment is is uh, at least less of a good thing than it was. Air France. Yeah, look, we we can't forget that the London market is is just so much bigger than any other. It's of vital importance to airlines everywhere. Could there be some mitigating benefit, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, could whatever kind of chaos uh, happens in, in the UK uh, sort of spill some business perhaps to elsewhere in Europe, which could be good for, for uh, you know, in some way for, for European economies and, and European airlines? I suppose so. But, you know, I, I guarantee you they were not rooting for this. Um, you know, not, not too many people in the airline industry were. And this might get just about the same answer, but uh, Lufthansa. Yeah, basically the same the same answer. You know, a little less local traffic between um, 
London and any one point in in, in uh, Germany, then you have to Paris. But uh, but because so much of the London Paris traffic is carried on the rails, whereas uh, Germany, it's all a an air market. Yeah, it's of huge importance to Lufthansa, uh, which, by the way, is is you know exposed even in other ways. Don't forget all the joint venture partners. Uh, you know when when United flies from uh, Newark to London Heathrow and so many other routes like that, you know, it's Lufthansa sharing the revenues on, on that too. So all of these airlines are, are exposed in, in all kinds of ways. And, uh, you know, again, sort of, uh, you just kind of have to hope for everybody's sake that, uh, that it's, that it's just not all as bad as, as, uh, as a lot of people are saying. And how about the U S big three? You mentioned United American Delta. Yeah, uh, if if you had to sort of rank them, uh, you know, in 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 order of exposure, um, I mean, United would be the least exposed. Um, they don't have a joint venture partner there. Uh, they, I mean, they, look, they do a ton of their own flying there. Uh, actually, take a look at Dio data here. Um, uh, more of their own metal flying, significantly more than Delta, uh, but Delta owns half of Virgin Atlantic. Uh, you know, as the huge joint venture with Virgin Atlantic, uh, obviously a ton of exposure there. AA even more. I mean, that, that, you know, obviously they're, they're in the, uh, the most important London joint venture of them all with, with BA, which has, has long been a good thing. Um, and, and now we'll see. So yeah, I mean, I mean, you might say just because that JV is so enormous, so much bigger than the other, maybe, you know, uh, American, the most impacted In fact, their shares were off the most, uh, of any of the big three U.S. airlines last week, perhaps because of that, uh, maybe American, then Delta, then United, even though, as I said, uh, not good news for any of them. Anybody else we should mention? Well, there's Wizz Air. I, I just mentioned shares declining. I think they were down uh, the, the day after the vote uh, more than anybody else. You know, Wizz Air, an Eastern European airline, uh, technically based in Geneva, but, you know, essentially based in, in, in Budapest, yeah, look, they they uh, their 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 number one airport, and it's not even close, is London Luton. So they do a huge business, you know, bringing all of the people who the folks who voted against Brexit don't want in the UK, <laughs> presumably to the to the UK. Um, you know, I I remember first sort of appreciating uh, Wizz Air when they were much smaller. I'll tell you a story. Funny enough, actually, I, I was in Dublin where I am this week. Taking, I took the public bus back to the airport, and almost everybody on the bus, on just the, the local bus, aside from me, seemed to be a maid going back home to Poland, uh, you know, or, or some other worker going back to, to Poland uh, to visit their family for the weekend that was leaving after after a, a week there, and they were all flying Wizz Air. You know, that's what Wizz Air does. Again, that story I just told you, Dublin, but I mean, that's that's what they do from Luton. Uh, just huge volumes of uh, people who have been, you know, so so critical to the British economy, and that vote was very much about immigration. I, I you know, not not necessarily particularly those same people. Obviously, there were concerns about you know, Syrian refugees and the rest of it. But the bottom line is, you know, that that's that's what that's what Wizair does. So anything that makes any of that trade, any of that flow of labor more difficult. Uh, would 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 absolutely have a big impact on Wizz Air. Now look, there are other markets, and they're a highly profitable airline. But again, there's there's nothing like London. Uh, you know, you can't replace London with, you know, with Dublin, for example, or with anything else. There's there's you know, London is the biggest air travel market in the world, and it's not even close. So 
Yeah, you, you certainly uh, certainly not good news for Wizair, although fortunately for them, at least, as opposed to, let's say, Norwegian, which just kind of doesn't have as much wiggle room uh, for Wizair, a lot of margin for error, a lot of profits to play with. One more question. Do you think airlines in general spoke out loudly enough against Brexit? It seemed to me that some of them were remarkably sanguine. Yeah, well, or perhaps just just not wanting to take a public position. Um, hard, hard to imagine that that uh, very many of them saw it or, or see it as as a good thing. Uh, just strategically, some of them found it appropriate. I mean, just judging by their actions, to to speak very loudly about it, and uh, others not. You know, I, I think there were some some of that was just politics. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Flybe. I mean, you would think that this would be. Um, you know, really awful for them, uh, and yet they didn't take much of a position. Then again, um, if you look at sort of all those uh, secondary cities in the UK that Flybe serves, uh, many of them are exactly the places where the Leave vote did very well. Um, so you know that just might have been a, a a case of them sort of deciding strategically, politically, not to anger their their customers um, by taking a position that you know that in the end you know probably wasn't going to tip the balance in in the election and with that i think we've beaten brexit to death yeah. kind of like it has beaten my meager stock portfolio to death yeah um, let's move on to happier things frontier airlines posted a first quarter profit that not too long ago it could hardly dream of a 17 percent operating margin in the first quarter yeah, which was uh, just about the lowest margin of, of any of any U.S. carrier. Think about that. The worst quarter of the year, the one that historically has been, a 17% margin brought up the rear. Uh, that, by the way, that 17%, according to figures uh, that we analyzed from the Bureau of Transportation Statistics Frontier, of course, not a publicly traded airline, you know, one that who knows, perhaps might might do an IPO. That's a moment. Probably. Careful, careful what you say on this show. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot forgot about that 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 power that we have. Uh, <laughs> at some moment in time, probably doesn't take Nostradamus to predict that. At some moment in time, they probably will. But yeah, that'll that'll look either uh, prescient or scary if they announce anything anytime soon. Although, well, with the market turmoil, probably probably not this week. I think we're we're safe in uh, guessing that. 17%, um, uh, not impressive in the context only of the competition here, but obviously a, uh, a very good showing for Frontier, an airline that has, uh, um, that has turned itself around, you know, very much adopted the ultra low cost carrier model. I mean, you know, the story it's, it's, uh, you know, it's CEO was right there in the middle of, of, uh, spirits, big turnaround, putting up unit cost figures that they say they're already right there. Uh, alongside Spirit, but you know they tout themselves as uh, I think they call it you know, low fares done right, basically kind of a kind of a dig at the unfriendly uh, service that that some uh, customers perceive from uh, from ultra low cost carriers. But um, no, you're right, just uh, doing doing very well by almost any other standard. JetBlue got a 22% margin in that quarter. Southwest 20% margin. Spirit 22%. Allegiant 35%. In light of those numbers, how healthy is Frontier? Oh, it's fine because first of all, it's 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 uh, well, I shouldn't even say first of all. I mean, the 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 most important thing is that it is um, it's more seasonal than those other airlines. Um, so if you go back, uh, and I don't mean even just way back in history, but sort of since since things have gone well there, um, their fourth quarters tend to be rather mediocre. I want to say they put up a ten percent 
if I'm not mistaken, uh, this past for fourth quarter, which also put them at the bottom of the industry. The first quarter is kind of, you know, somewhat better because it's ski season in Colorado and they do still, uh, even though they've diversified uh, somewhat away from Denver, certainly carry a, a lot of that kind of of traffic. Uh, and then they just have excellent summers. So, so Jason, uh, of those four carriers that you mentioned, if you go back, let's say to the third quarter uh, of, of 2015 of last year, uh, the peak summer, you know, frontier that quarter put up a 24%, which was better than Southwest, better than JetBlue. Uh, and although not better than just you know, right up there with with Spirit and Allegiant. So, uh, so Frontier is doing fine. I'm sure you want to see them actually confirm those results with a with a with an outsized summer profit. But um, yeah, no, no reason to think other anything other than that they are uh, doing very well. Here's an airline we don't mention very often. Air Mauritius reported a nice eight percent operating margin. Good turnaround from the year before. Yeah, I mean it was a fuel story. Uh, you know, mostly. But, you know, hey, give them credit. Um, it, it's uh, it's it's an airline that's has all kinds of strategic challenges, you know, whatever you're sort of this, uh, you know, rather small airline, you know, competing in a scary world uh, where just little capacity movements by other airlines around you matter. You know, somebody else starts a, a new flight or two to a, a place like Mauritius and, and you know, it can have a, a very big impact. So, yeah, you know, you, you, you still do have to execute Although it's uh, certainly easier to do when you get all the benefit of falling fuel prices that they uh, that they got. Its government is opening access to more foreign carriers. Is that as ominous as it sounds? Certainly not ominous for the country, you know, which is which is why, uh, you know, countries again, from from the perspective of, of a free trader, uh, you know, why, why countries should uh, choose opening markets over over protecting Local carriers, you know, you, you can kind of understand with with some of these you know, places. I don't, I don't care whether it's Malta or Jamaica or lots of other places that have protected local carriers over the years. You, you know, even though it's tempting to say, hey, you know, why bother doing that? Just open it up. Uh, you know, it's a it's a nice place. It'll have air service. You can imagine why a government just wouldn't want to be sort of subject to the whims of other airlines and, you know, something happens in the world and all of a sudden there's no airlift or there's a lot less airlift. And, uh, you know, whereas when you have your own carrier, you're, you're sort of guaranteed a certain amount of it. So you can understand why they do it. Um, but in the end, you know, you you, you tend to end up with, with economic benefits from uh, liberalizing it. And Jason, you know, there, there, there are examples uh, of both outcomes. Um, you know, certainly it can be scary. It can be worse uh, for the local carrier, particularly if it doesn't adapt well. But, you know, look at look at Israel, for example, which liberalized. And El Al, although actually its last quarter showed some signs that perhaps it, it peaked, you know, in the in the quarters after liberalization, um, it was doing fine. You know, basically it, it uh, to some degree sort of forced El Al to uh, to adapt, uh, to make changes that who knows, maybe it never would have made if it wasn't facing uh, that liberalization. You know, so so there's there's every reason to think that Air Mauritius uh, could do that, too. But but certainly it's going to be a, a, a challenge for them to navigate for an airline. By the way, Jason, it's wild. It's, it's not a big airline, but they fly like all over the place. I mean, they have they have long haul service to, uh, to to several different continents. So they uh their reach is rather broad, you know, their scope, if you will, even though their scale is not. Okay, here's an airline that doesn't have much reach. It's Canada's New Leaf, and it says on their website they'll start flying July 25th. They have an ultra-low-cost model, close cousin to Allegiant. 
Seth, how is New Leaf alike and different than Allegiant? And if you can, explain it with some flair. <laughs> I'll do my best, which I feel myself doing a lot this show, <laughs> which is to say probably not good enough. Yeah, well, it's... It, I guess you'd have to say that it, that in terms of if, if you're going to use the sort of uh, the, the the relatives analogy that uh, their the real DNA they share is is with is with spirit right because their uh, chairman as they just announced last week is is none other than Ben Baldanza the uh, uh, former CEO of of Spirit but yeah you know allegiance I assume you mean uh, because it's you know they're they're flying infrequently between small cities in in. In their case, a little bit different from Allegiant in the sense that Allegiant generally, uh, you know, collects people in small places and takes them uh, to big places. Although Allegiant does use, you know, an alternative airport outside Phoenix, for example, here connecting a lot of small airports, but ones that, yeah, a place like, you know, Hamilton are perfectly suitable alternative for uh, for Toronto. And so, um, so yeah, you know, they, they uh, launched routes between Saskatoon and Kelowna and, and uh, you know, various places like that all went on sale last week. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the, the ultra low cost carrier model has come to Canada. I asked you this before, but should WestJet and Air Canada be concerned? We saw some evidence that WestJet is taking notice this week. Yeah, they, they announced actually a couple new routes that, that were almost certainly responses uh, to, to New Leaf. Edmonton, Hamilton and, uh, and Winnipeg, Kelowna. Winnipeg, by the way, is where is where New Leaf is is based. Sure, it's it's new capacity in the marketplace, and that always matters to incumbents. And New Leaf, by the way, isn't the only airline with this idea. You know, we'll we'll see. It's the first one to to to, you know, to get as far as it's gotten, uh, where it's selling airline tickets. And, and by the way, you 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 uh, mentioned Allegiant. You might have been thinking of this. Uh, another. Uh, similarity there, you know, the, the Legion likes to say, well, we're not, we're not an airline, we're a travel company. I mean, that's even doubly true of New Leaf because New Leaf, I keep saying an airline, it's only sort of an airline. It, it's, it's, uh, you know, they're, they are uh, outsourcing the flying, um, you know, just, you know, it's, it's wet leases, ACMI to another, you know, longstanding reputable uh, operator with a name that nobody would recognize, you know, typically uh, doing charter flights and so forth, you know, so yeah, so they're actually taking that another step. Allegiant, of course, has, has, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these airlines have outsourced a lot, but uh, this airline is, is really, you know, it's, it's planning the routes and doing all that, but hiring somebody else to fly. Um, but yeah, there are a couple others that are trying to get off the ground, you know, in various stages of development. There's one called Jetlines. There's one called, what's it called today? I think it was first called Jet Naked, and then it thought better of that and called itself Enerjet. Uh, then, I don't know, maybe because oil prices collapsed or something, it, it, it's, I think, most recently called Fly 2. So, uh, so, so that's an issue for, you know, for, for, for New Leaf itself, because sometimes when everybody gets the same idea at once, it, you know, you have the potential that it doesn't, uh, turn out to work out as well as if you had the marketplace to yourself and for, for Air Canada and, and, and WestJet too. So, uh, we'll have to watch this all develop, uh, certainly a, uh, a, a sizable market in Canada, although not, uh, not an unlimited one and, and, and one where, um, that, you know that model is 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 not yet proven. It's just to give you an idea of one challenge, you know, airport costs in Canada, are very very high. Um, so you know, what are essentially departure taxes, if you will. So, so you know, you you, you don't see uh, you know, 
nineteen dollar uh, fares, you know, which including taxes and fees in some cases that you'll see in in the U.S. nineteen twenty nine thirty nine sometimes from the ultra low cost carrier, sometimes from uh, JetBlue will offer thirty nine dollar fares these days. So on one hand, Canada is is ripe for ultra low cost competition because you know because fares are um, you know rather high. But on the other hand, um, you know, the ability to differentiate because of what it does cost to do, uh, to do business is, is a little more difficult, but look, this is a model that has worked very, very well in, in many parts of the world, including other parts. I mean, look, we talked before about the UK and, and parts of Europe. Uh, those are not exactly, uh, cheap places to do business, but, uh, but Ryanair seems to matter just fine. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how they do. Do you think WestJet though is, is hunting, New Leaf? Well, um, you know, they're, I'm sure, going to defend their turf. Yeah. I think a lot of airlines are conscious of, you know, air, of, of airlines that began as small competitors and, and you know, were, were maybe not taken seriously enough. And, and uh, you know, before you knew it, they uh, became very scary. So, um, you know, it, it, in the same way that you see the U.S. legacy airlines taking Spirit, Frontier, and Allegiant uh you know, very seriously now, perhaps more than they did just a few years ago. Yeah, this is this is WestJet, I'm sure. You know, perhaps sending a signal, and all, all I'm doing is watching their actions and and, and inferring. I have no idea, but you know, maybe they planned those routes anyway. But you know, you know, that could be them sending a signal to New Leaf that look, uh, you know, you're you're not just going to have that all to yourself. Um, you know, we're we're watching and uh, and and we'll respond. The airline industry is a rough and tumble industry. The podcast industry, meanwhile, is an easy industry. <laughs> At five, five o'clock, we just go home. And it's 4.59 right now. So let's wrap this episode. Number 46 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. For, yep. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. We'll see you right back here next week. If Britain leaving means a Brexit, what will they call it when Seth leaves Airline Weekly? Jason, this is a family show. 